Hi, Redeemer. So last week I asked a question. The question was, what do you think about when you think about God? Like when I say that word, God, what do you think about? Uh, and we acknowledge that if we were to walk into a crowded room before socially distanced times, of course, um, and we were asked people, uh, what do they think about when they think about God? You get all different kinds of responses based on people's beliefs and their experiences. And we talked about, you know, some seeing God as an all-powerful deity. Um, others refer to God as the big guy upstairs, up there, who watches over us. Um, others see God as, as like a force or life or love itself or creation or the universe itself. Um, so what do you think about when you think about God? And we spoke about how the scriptures um, are the unfolding revelation of God and who God is. And uh, the scriptures unfold in the Judeo-Christian story. We begin to see a revelation of God as, as a father. We talked about this last week, the fatherhood of God, uh, on Father's Day last Sunday. Um, and we recognized when we, when we said that God is a father, um, that can be a complex image for so many to wrestle with. You know, for some of us, fathers and father figures have been nothing but positive, loving influences and presence in our lives. But for so many uh, fathers and father figures, it's a bit more complex. It's filled with questions or even in some cases, disappointments and hurt. And so we um, wrestled with this image of God as father and and we thought that it would be problematic and we thought we just needed some more. So we asked another question. That question was, well, what kind of father is God? And it was Psalm 68 that helped us last week, as you remember, to see that God is a father to the fatherless and a, a protector of widows. So the kind of father that God is, is, is one who protects, one who is powerful and who uses that power on behalf of those without any power the most vulnerable in our society. We see God as the kind of father who sets the lonely in families, which means that he cherishes every human as his child and actively works to draw every child of his into family, not wanting anyone to be alone. So the Jesus story continues. In the New Testament, we see Jesus pointing to God as a father. Jesus speaks of his own relationship with his father, um, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, but no one comes to the Father except through me. And so we know Jesus had an intimate relationship with his Father God, and he even taught his disciples to pray, our Father who art in heaven. So as we, as, uh, as Christians, immerse ourselves in the Jesus story, we quickly begin to realize that Jesus has come to continue to reveal the kind of father God is. In fact, we would put it like this. Jesus has come to reveal to us, to the world, he's come to reveal the heart of the father. You know, we spoke about that um, uh, looking at Luke 15, the, the parable of the prodigal son. And uh, you can listen to the podcast last week for more on this where I go into detail and, and teach from that parable. But in summary, the parable says this. Jesus shows us that, that God is a father who who sees his lost son from afar, is filled with compassion and runs toward him with open arms. This is the heart of God the Father for us today. God is a loving, rescuing, protective, sacrificial, kind, compassionate Father who loves his children. And he waits for us. He sees us. He runs to us. He embraces us. He adopts us as his children into his family, bestows upon each of us such dignity 
and love. And I just wanted to continue today to talk about the kind of God that, uh, that, that God is. Um, God is a father, and yet, and yet God is, is invisible. Um, John 1.18 says uh, that no one has ever seen God. 1 John 4.12 says the same. So here's another question for today, for this week, that I would love us to all ask. The question is this. What does God look like? What does God look like? This is the same question that Jesus' disciples ask him in John 14. Thomas turns to Jesus and says, Lord, we don't know where we're going, so how can we know the way? Which is, in some ways, maybe how we feel today. Um, we don't know where we're going or what the future holds, and we're maybe asking the same question. And to that question, Jesus turns and answers, answers Thomas and says this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. So Jesus is basically saying to his disciples that they have seen the invisible God, that they have seen the Father after all. Is, is Jesus speaking in, in riddles here? Is he, is he contradicting the scriptures? Have the disciples seen God? And if so, what does God look like? Philip then goes on to say, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us, which might be the kind of cry or question that we have. If I only I could see what God is like, show us what God is like. And Jesus answers and says this, don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you for such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Wow. Jesus is making some incredible claims here. Um, so the question, what does God look like? Jesus is basically saying that God looks like, like him, like anyone who has seen me has seen the Father, says Jesus. I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. In fact, Jesus is bemused at Philip's question. You know, and in a sense, this question is our question today. Um, Jesus says, how can you even ask, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? So Jesus is really clear. He is pointing to this reality, this mystery that we speak of, in the Christian community is the Trinity, is the triune community of love. John 10 says this, uh, Jesus says this, I and my Father are one. And so when we ask the question, what does God look like today, this week? Um, there's a great mystery to the revelation of God. We spoke about this on Trinity Sunday when we looked at the Russian painting Troitsa by Andrei Rublev. You remember that? Um, there are these three uh, ways that the Bible depicts God, these three persons. Um, God is a father, like we spoke about last week, and he's a father that Jesus talks to and talks about. Second, God is Jesus, our Lord, uh, the Son of God. And third, G uh, God is the Holy Spirit who Jesus sends to live with us and within us. 
So we have these three persons, these three manifestations or expressions or aspects of God. And I know we're stretching language here, but God was never, these three, these three persons of the Trinity were never treated like separate gods, nor were they three roles that the one God plays, but they are three distinct personalities within the oneness of God. And what at first may sound like a, like a simple contradiction is actually pointing us to something uh, most profound, a real profound reality that we will never wrap our heads or hearts around completely. It means that God is inherently relational, that he is community in unity, that he is plurality in oneness. What we call the Trinity actually makes it possible for us to claim that God is love. Let me, let me explain that. God is love, and, and love exists within the matrix of relationship. Love exists within and between persons. Love is relational energy. Relationship is the sinew that connects persons in order for love to happen, for love to move between them. For, for love is only love when it is moving between and within persons. And so while there may be relationships without love, there will never be love without relationship. In and of himself, God could not be love without some form of relational experience and expression, an expression that would be intrinsic and elemental to who God is. You know, if God was a, a single monad, if God was just a one person rather than three, he would have to create someone or something in order to engage in and express love. And even then, he could only be described as loving, but not, not necessarily love itself. But to say that God is love is to say that within his very being, within his very essence, there is this ongoing active exchange of honor, that love is the DNA of God. That love is the DNA of the divine, the DNA of the community of God that is Father and Son and Holy Spirit, each loving and pointing to the other in this sort of dance um, that we call God, God in community, a community of love. And so when we ask the question this morning, what, is, what does God look like? We're peering into this mystery of, of the community of the, of the triune God. But here's the thing, the Redeemer, that I would love to get across this morning is that Jesus has come to make the mystery knowable. Jesus has come to make the invisible God visible. And so in him, in Jesus, we see God. We see that God looks like Jesus. The Christian is the one who sees the face of God in the face of Christ. That is what God looks like. Brian Zand, who I, I really love, he says it best when he says this, that God is like Jesus God has always been like Jesus. There has never been a time when God was not like Jesus. We haven't always known this, but now we do. God is like Jesus. And so as the scriptures, the unfolding revelation of who God is, um, continually open up our experience and understanding of God, then we reach Jesus in the scriptures and we see that Jesus came to reveal the very heart of God. And in Christ, we see the face of God. Redeemer, this is the greatest, greatest gift that we will ever receive. Jesus himself, uh, the word of God made flesh. 
Um, the life of Jesus is the greatest gift that we will ever receive because it reveals the face of God to us. I want you to look at this image. This image is a silhouette. Um, it's a silhouette, and a silhouette is a representation of someone or something that shows the shape or the outline only. However, with more and more light, the silhouette begins to reveal a face in full resolution. In a sense, that summarizes the, the unfolding revelation of God in the human experience in the scriptures. In the Old Testament, people had a, a limited revelation or understanding of who God is, a bit like the silhouette. And as we move into the New Testament, as we move into the life of Jesus, we now begin to move out of the shadows of the silhouette and into this full resolution picture. The Apostle Paul actually speaks about this in Colossians 2, verse 17. And he says this, these, speaking about the things before Christ, these are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. The reality is found in Christ. So when you love someone, why not look into their face rather than stare at their shadow or their silhouette? We look at them eye to eye, and that's what we see when we see in Jesus, we see the face of God. We see the full revelation and reality of who God is and what kind of God God is. The apostle uh, John wrote in John, uh, John 1, 17 and 18, he wrote about this clear vision of God. Um, it was like everything that preceded um, Jesus could not really qualify as seeing the reality of who God is. This is what the apostle John wrote. He said this, for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. So again, I'll say it. Well, what does God look like? Well, Brian Zahn says, right, God is like Jesus. God has always been like Jesus. There's never been a time when God was not like Jesus. We haven't always known this. Um, it's been in silhouette at times. It's been in shadow. But now we do. In full resolution, we, we see that God is like Jesus. There's a beautiful passage in Colossians that I'd love to read. It speaks about the mysterious revelation, the beautiful revelation of the unseen, the invisible God, as he appears in the person of Jesus. Uh, Colossians 1.15 says this, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. I'd really like to read that passage again, but this time I'd like to read it in the message translation which is just a stunning, uh, it's a stunning paraphrase of, of the passage that really animates the passage in a fresh way. And I want you just to listen to these words as I read them. Uh, this is what it says, verse 15 on, in the message. We look at this son and we see the God who cannot be seen. We look at this son and see God's original purpose in everything created, for everything absolutely everything above and below 
visible and invisible, rank after rank after rank of angels. Everything God started in him and finds its purpose in him. He was there before any of it came into existence and holds it all together right up to this moment. And when it comes to the church, he organizes and holds it together like a head does a body. He was supreme in the beginning and leading the resurrection parade, he is supreme in the end. From beginning to end, he's there, towering above everything and everyone. So spacious is he, so roomy that everything of God finds its proper place in him without crowding. Not only that, but all the broken and dislocated pieces of the universe, people and things, animals and atoms, get properly fixed and fit together in vibrant harmonies, all because of his death, his blood that poured down from the cross. I, I think that's a stunning description and revelation of Jesus as the, as the visible, as the invisible God made visible, as the one in whom we see God. This is the thing I want to get across this morning, Redeemer, that Jesus is at the center, that Jesus was there at the beginning and that all things flow from him and are for him. He holds the very universe together, the very cosmos. Jesus holds the church together, the church being God's prototype community, the church being uh, the sign of humanity's future under God's reign and rule. Well, Jesus holds that together. Jesus holds the church together. He is at the center. And Jesus redeems and reconciles all things, all people, animals, atoms. He holds it all and redeems it all together through his cross. This image of, of God in Christ is so beautiful. And we, and we see it and we know that Jesus' death, uh, in and through Jesus' death, that, that, that God is a God of love. God is a God of self-giving, self-sacrificial, supreme love as demonstrated by Jesus' death, going to his death on the cross. Anything that um, does not look like Jesus is not God. Jesus is at the very, very center. I want you to look at this second image. This image is an image of our, our solar system. Um, the sun sits at the center of, of our solar system. And uh, if we wanted to increase the, the gravitational pull of our solar system, what we would need to do is, is increase the size of the sun because everything revolves around the sun and everything is actually held in the gravitational pull of the sun. And so the bigger the sun, the stronger the gravitational pull. And so this morning, Redeemer, I want us to know that, that in Jesus, we, we see God and we see what God is like. I want us to know that at the center of our universe is Jesus, much like the sun. I want us to know that at the center of the church is Jesus. And I want us to know that at the center of our community here at Redeemer Central is Jesus. We are a Jesus people. And once we understand that Jesus is the image of God, the exact imprint of God's nature, once we see that he is perfect theology, once we uh, see that, we can answer some really important things about, about God that we've often got wrong in the past because we see God as this, 
as this loving union in and of himself. And we're invited by this gravitational pull into his family. We, we're held by him, Jesus at the center. Much like that image of the solar system, Jesus is at the center. And to draw others in, um, we need to make Jesus bigger at the center. We need to make Jesus bigger. What are those images in the past that we've thought of um, when we've uh, thought of God? Does God send the storm? No, God calms the storm. Does God cause famines? No, God feeds the hungry. Does God inflict sickness? No, he heals the sick. Does God shun sinners? No, he welcomes them. Does God condemn the guilty? No, in Christ he saves them. Does God blame the afflicted? No, in Christ he shows them mercy. Does God represent or resent human pleasure? No, in Jesus he turns water to wine. Does God take our side in, in our hostilities? No, Jesus humanizes the other side. Does, does God kill his enemies? No, Jesus forgives them. Does God return revenge on his mind? No, Jesus comes with the words of peace. When we see Jesus, we see God and we see God's character. And if this is the kind of God that we, we know and we love in Jesus, then if we want the world to be drawn into this love, we need to make Jesus bigger at the center, a bit like the sun in the solar system. We need to make Jesus bigger at the center at the center of our lives individually and at the center of our communal life together. We're living through these times of uncertainty um, and all of us, I think many of us will be making evaluations about what's important in life, um, the kind of lives we wanna live, the kind of priorities we wanna have. Um, there will be temptations, many temptations for us to put other things at the center of our lives maybe even at the center of our communal life here in Redeemer, we might put other things. We might get led to a universe where we have put ourselves at the center or maybe we've put our own agendas at the center. This would be a mistake. To drop Jesus from the very center would hollow out our lives and our priorities. But here's the hope. We will never go wrong and we will never misrepresent God in this world if we have Jesus at the center. And if our lives look like his life, and if our love looks like his love, and if our priority is to prioritize him, especially in our lives going forward post-COVID and post-coronavirus, we need to continue to prioritize Jesus in our lives, in our families, and in our community. And I believe just like the solar system, when Jesus is at the center, and when Jesus is bigger at the center, everything will be held in place and everything will organize around Jesus. And we will organize our lives around his life, his teaching, his presence. In our church life, everything is held together in Christ, nothing else. Here's some of the dangers we have as a community. We could put right thinking or ideas at the center rather than Jesus. Or we could put right theology at the center rather than Jesus. Or we could put our, our views or our vision or our agendas at the center rather than Jesus. None of these are enough. Only centering and making big Jesus the Son at the center will hold us together. And in fact, only that will enable others to be drawn into the gravitational pull of his love. So here's what I want to say to us this morning as a community. In this season, 
There's a call to prioritize Jesus in our lives, to prioritize Jesus in our relationships, to prioritize Jesus in our church communal life. And we need to, we need to realize that even our, our very unity as a community, as a people of God, comes through centering Jesus and nothing else. You know, as a community, we can disagree about a whole bunch of stuff. But we come together in love around Jesus at the center. And that's the only way that we can build community. It's the only way that we can um, build this community in Redeemer is to keep Jesus at the center. Jesus himself, he's praying for us. He prays for his, his disciples. And in, in, in John uh, 17, his prayer says, uh, his prayer to the Father is this. My fa- my, uh, his prayer in verse, for, uh, John 17, verse 20. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you've sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. I'll say that again. So that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you loved me. So these words of Jesus as he prays to his father in John 17, his prayer is essentially that his disciples would be one, would be unified, completely united, like he and the Father are one. That's Jesus' prayer for us as his church today. And the reason why he prays that is not for our own sake, but it's actually for the sake of the world, that through the unity of the church, through the unity of disciples in love around Christ, that the world would know the love of the Father, the compassionate, kind love of the Father. In other words, that the world would be drawing, drawn into the story by this gravitational pull of love. We, we live in a universe that's permeated and held together, as we've been talking about and seen in Colossians 1. It's held together with this ever-relating love. Relationship is happening all around us. Um, and we are drawn into, we're being invited into um, a daily awareness and experience of that love every day. Jesus prayed the love that passes between the the, the persons of the Trinity, the love that passes between Father and Son would also be within each of us. And so, Redeemer, that's my prayer today, that the love of Christ, who is at the center, would fill all of us, and that we would keep Jesus at the center of our individual lives, our families' lives, and our community life here in Redeemer. Unity in Christ is a fact um, it's a reality, and yet it's also something that we contend for and fight for. And that fight um, pushes back the illusion that we're not united because the idea that we're not united in Christ is an illusion. So we fight against that illusion. We should never replace Jesus at the center of our church community, at the center of our family life, at the center of our, our lives. We need to contend to keep Jesus at the center we need to contend to live in unity together despite our differences by keeping Jesus at the center. And all of this will be held, uh, held by him and his love. Thank uh, God for Jesus. Like, like I shared a few weeks ago, uh, this is no ordinary time uh, in the church calendar. Um, it may be ordinary time, but it's no ordinary time. Things are chaotic, 
But our hope remains in the story of God and in the revelation of the kind of God that God is. A God who looks like Jesus, who looks like Jesus' love for the world and, and, and his love for humanity. And so as we live through these days, Redeemer, let us center Jesus at the center. Make Jesus bigger at the center. And let us find unity in Jesus through this love that flows between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I want to pray uh, this prayer over us, this Paul's, uh, Paul's Trinitarian prayer from Ephesians. He says this, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with the measure of all the fullness of God. As a, as a final response, Redeemer, as we think about Christ at the center of our lives and our community. I want us to pray these words of this litany that will, that will come up on your screens. Join with me as we close. God, you have shown us your love and your nature in the person of Christ who washed the feet of his friends, who served them food and drink, who healed their diseases, heard their concerns and cared for their hearts. Here is our blessing and our love. We bless you, Christ, who washes our feet. We bless you, Christ, who abolishes our hierarchies. We bless you, Christ, who dismantles uh, dominating systems. We bless you, Christ, who affirms the dignity and sacredness of every human being. We bless you, Christ, who rescues us from the tyranny of our egos. We bless you, Christ, who teaches us to heal and not harm we bless you, Christ, who offers meaning in ordinary bread and wine. We bless you and we seek to follow your example. During this no ordinary time, we place you, Christ, at the center. We make you, Christ, at the center bigger. We orientate everything around you. We see in your face the face of God. We see in your life the heart of God. We see in your death the love of God. We celebrate the life you lived, Christ. Christ alive within us. Christ be active in our imaginations. Christ breathing in our lungs. Christ working through our hands. Help us to be of service in this world. Help us to love one another and be united in you and nothing else. To walk the path of our Lord the Christ for the sake of our world.